Page 32, okay? So, we are in the middle of the story of God sending Moses to take the people out of Egypt. We studied about how Yosef lived in Egypt, he was sold to Egypt. Yosef helped the country where he lived in, in Egypt. He helped the country, he actually saved the country by making sure there is food to feed the people. He saved Yaakov's family. But shortly thereafter, the verse tells us that a new king got up who didn't remember anything that Yosef did, either a new king or a king that didn't remember. And he started enslaving the Hebrews. And they were uh, causing a lot, of, a lot of troubles for the Hebrews over there. And God finally sends Moses to go ahead and take the Jewish people out of Egypt. Now, uh, God tells Moses it's not going to be an easy job. It's not going to be easy to take the children of Israel out of Egypt because Pharaoh isn't willingly going to let them go. Not only isn't he willingly going to let them go, but matter of fact, that I'm actually going to harden his heart, we learn later on. Also, that Hashem says, I'm going to make his heart heavy, so that he, even if on his own he would let them go, he still won't let them go. And we'll see, we'll get to that later. That's, that's part of the punishment, even though it's God that's hardening his heart. That's part of the punishment because of what he's already done. But in any event, God says to Moshe, Go, and the Jews will believe you. And Moshe says they won't, how are they going to believe me? And God gives them a couple of signs and tells them you'll do, you make demonstrations to them, you'll prove to them that God has sent you. And they'll believe you. Matter of fact, God was upset with Moshe, with Moses. How come he questioned, he said the Jews won't believe him. What do you mean they won't? They won't believe. Anyways, Moshe comes to the Jewish people and he tells them they're willingly accepting. So we read, Moshe goes to Pharaoh together with Aaron. Actually, God told him to go together with the seventy, with with the elders, not the seventy, with the elders. Uh, but it says that the elders, each one, slipped away when it came the time to come to Pharaoh into the palace. They were afraid, so each one they slipped away. And at the end, it was only Moshe and Aaron, the only two of them. So the brave, they go into Pharaoh, and they tell to Pharaoh that God, the God of the Hebrews wants you to let them go uh, for a journey for three days in the desert to celebrate. doesn't tell anything about coming back or not, it just says wants to go for three days to celebrate. And Pharaoh says, who is God that I have to listen to him? You know, I don't know God, I'm not going to listen to God. And it says that, um, that uh, Pharaoh says, you know what, you guys aren't working hard enough. You know, you have all these dreams of freedom, of going away, leaving slavery, becoming uh, free, living the good life. You know why you're having these foolish thoughts? Is because you're not working hard enough. You have too much free time on your hands, so therefore, 
you are lazy, and that's why you are saying we want to go sacrifice for God. We have to make the work harder for you. So they were already slaves working bitters. He says like this, instead of up till now, they used to they used to, one of the main jobs they used to do there, they were building these cities of storage for Pharaoh. Pitom and Ramses, two cities. And they were cities that were very difficult to build, but they were building it for them. And they were making bricks, how they used to brick, you know, and, and you know, there weren't that many stones, they used to use the bricks to make to make it uh, all the, 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 the city, the the... the, the the houses, everything they built over there are storage, cities of storage. Mm-hmm. So they used the bricks. So the main, a key job that they did, that the Torah says they did, they made the bricks. So up till that time, they would supply them from the king. He used to give them this straw. They used to put in straw within the bricks to mix in with the, with the mud. That sort of used to give give it sort of strength uh, to the uh, to the bricks. So they needed uh, straw for that. So up to that time. They would be supplied the straw from the palace, would give them to make the bricks. But because Moshe came and said they want to go free, and he says, you have too much time on your hand, he says like this, no more straw. Now you got to go collect your own straw, go into the fields, but we can't bring in any less bricks, the same amount of bricks. Just as like when the time that we provided the straw, you still have to produce, almost like today's in the economy, they expect you to work twice as hard, they lay off people, and you got to do everybody's job, and you can't do any less, you got, <laughs> it's like the modern day Egypt today, <laughs> you know, they want you to do everything, and, uh, but in any, in any event, you know, the pay is lousy too, you know, I'm sure the housewives know that, also, you know, that, uh, so in any event, the, um, the, um, so Paro made it, it actually worse for them, so when they were leaving, uh, when they were leaving the palace, the Jewish people, some of the Jewish people met them, and some of them were really antagonistic, and they started, uh, you know, saying, "What did you do this? You know, you came to Pharaoh," and um, and then Moshe Rabbeinu goes and talks to God, but he he talks to God pretty um, pretty strongly. He's pretty strongly. He says to God, "Why did you do bad to these people?" He says, "Why did you send me?" He says, from the time you sent me, he says, he just made it worse for them. This is the last words of last week's portion. He says, you hadn't saved these people. You hadn't taken them out. So, so this was the final words that Moshe Rabbeinu speaks to, uh, uh, Moses speaks to God. Finally, the last verse, God says to Moshe, God says to Moshe, now you will see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. After this, don't worry, you know, this is still in the process. He says, now you will see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, uh, he will send them out. And with a uh, powerful hand, he will chase them away from his land. So this week we start learning again, where God is continuing his discussion with Moshe Rabbeinu, with Moses, okay? So I'm going to ask... Warren, to get us started, to my right, and read for us uh, verse 2, okay? God rebuked Moses for having asked him, Why have you mistreated this people? By saying to him, I am God. This is my proper name, which indicates that I can be relied upon 
to reward those who faithfully who those faithful to me. Yet I appeared to Abraham. Isaac. Hold on one second. So let's go. So that's really good. So let's just go very slowly over here, because you gave a whole long commentary in the interpretation. Now we're reading from different commentaries, so therefore it's not exactly. Uh, just look in your in your. I mean, in the, some of this commentary is uh, is not the literal translation, like from the. Well, he's reading. He's reading like commentary, not right. Put in within the words of the of the chumash. Sometimes we have translation. There's different chumash. We should get a unified chumash so we all look from the same thing, so it'll be easier to follow. But I just wanted to um, make a, a, a few points in the in the Hebrew. There are two ways to say and he spoke, and there are two words that we find in the chumash. In the in, in 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 the Torah, in the Bible, we find two Hebrew words. They're both very common. They're both very common to use to describe God speaking. God spoke to Moses. Sometimes it says Vayidaber and he spoke. Sometimes it says Vayomer and he spoke. They both mean and he spoke. Sometimes it's Vayidaber and sometimes it's Vayomer. Or Vayom Vayidaber means he spoke. Vayomer and he said. Is there a difference between and he spoke and he said? Or do they mean the same thing? Okay, now, also two other things that we find very common in the, in, in the, in the Torah is that, the, uh, that God has two basic names that the Torah always uses. It, either it says the name, it says Ado Shem, it's, it's Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud, pronounced. It's really the name of Yud, K Vav, K. Yud Kei Vav Kei, the reason I'm having a hard time expressing it because we're not really supposed to say the name. So I'm trying to teach you what the name is, but I can't really say it. So it's Yud Kei Vav Kei. But it's pronounced when we say Baruch Atah, then we say Ado, that's the name, one name. And the other name is Elohim. It's actually not Elohim, it's not with a K sound. It's actually with an H sound, right? Because, but we don't want to say it because that would be mentioning God's name. So we use, we substitute the hey with the the H with the K. So we, instead of saying hello with the H, we say hello Kim, not to say God's name. So if you read, it, it's interesting in the Hebrew over here. So sometimes we call God by the name Elohim. Sometimes we call him Hashem. It's interchangeable. Sometimes it's both. Generally speaking, the name, when we say the name Elohim, that represents the name of judgment. Or it would represent the name when God's strictness, God's severity, when God is punishing somebody, or God is rebuking somebody, when God is being strict with somebody, we would use the name Elohim. The same thing also the word Vayidaber, and he spoke. The word Daber is also expression of strong words. So, in this verse, it's very interesting. You have both expressions. It says like this. If Again, in the Hebrew it says, Vayidaber Elohim, strong language, Vayidaber Elohim, both. Using the language of speaking, the strong language, and Elohim, the measure of judgment, Hashem's name of judgment. So it says, Vaydaber Elohim El Moshe. 
And that represents, as Rashi translates, God speaking tough to Moshe, which means God was like upset with Moshe. That, and that's what he explained. What was he upset with Moshe? Because Moshe questioned God. Because when things didn't go so well, Moshe Rabbeinu started complaining to God. So because Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to God in a unpleasant way, God sort of speaking harshly to him back and saying, Vaidaber Elokim. So Elokim is talking about in a very strict way, strong way. El Moshe. He speaks to Moshe in that way. But then immediately God changes his tone. In the same verse, two words later it says, Vayomer a love. Again, now it changes instead of Vaidaber. And he speaks to him, again to Moshe. And he tells him, Ani Hashem, I'm God. Here he uses the name of Yud K Vav K already. He uses the name of Hashem, not the name of Elohim. Hashem is compassion, the name of compassion. But Yomer is a soft language. And in this context, he says, I am Hashem. Rashi says, mean, I am trustworthy. I have the power to fulfill and to do as I promised. As Rashi points out, the words Ani Hashem is used many times in connections. I am God, meaning to say, I am Hashem. This is an expression of Hashem saying, if I say I'm going to do something good, I am God, because I can do it, because I am God. Or if God says, I'm going to punish somebody, then Hashem says, I am God, because God, I am God means I have the ability, I have the might, I have the power. It's up to me to do that. To do that. So, and in this case, God was saying to, to Moshe, first God was saying to him very strictly, saying to him, why did you speak so, God is talking harshly to him, because you, 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 you spoke against God, you spoke harshly against God. Then God says to him, in a soft way, God says to him back, you know what, I will show you that I am Hashem, that I can fulfill my promises, that I can do what I said, and eventually you will see. So what we see here is a downturn, is a turnaround of the events that we uh, changed from what it was perceived to what took place later on. Now, from reading this, just this, uh, what I told you now, was Moshe Rabbeinu, was Moses uh, correct in challenging God? Was Moses um, doing the right thing for questioning God? Should he have trusted God? Should he have uh, sort of said, if God is doing it, I'm sure he knows what he's doing, and um, he probably is right? Or should he have spoken up? What, 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 what do we learn from what we just said, that God was speaking harshly to him because he questioned God, and he said, why did you do bad to these people? Did he do the right thing? I just want to get some input from the... It was hard for him to see that his action caused, you know, his people to suffer. So he he was. Angry. But he did he did what God asked him to do, right? Right. So that's why he sort of questioned it. So. So was the questioning? Do you think that he had the right to question God? No, not really. I don't think so. Because first of all, God knows everything, so he knew what Pharaoh's answer would be even before he sent Moshe. And he knew what Moshe was going to say to him even before he even asked Moshe to, you know, what what to say. 
like Moshe felt bad because it, even though he probably didn't understand the whole thing, he made the Jews' lives harder, you know, with the straw and making the bricks and everything like that. So now all the Jews were mad at them, at him, even though he, in a sense, didn't do anything. I mean, he right. just followed Mo, uh, Hashem's instruction. You know, go to Pharaoh, mm -hmm. see about letting my people go. Pharaoh says, no, I'm going to make it, you know, you have so much free time to think about leaving me, I'm going to make your life harder. I understand that, but my question is, to sum it up, from what, so what would be the lesson from what we were just learning now, that Moshe Rabbeinu should not have said it to God that way? Is that is that the message that we're trying to teach us here? Or Moshe Rabbeinu did the right thing for that he questioned? Is no, that, or I did, guess, he, did he do the right thing? You have to be a Moshe Rabbeinu. He was in such a situation as a being a leader that he actually cared so much about every single Jewish person that he just felt maybe it's his responsibility that even if it's something that maybe 100% he's not supposed to do. But there's another thing that Moshe has a different relationship with Hashem. Even when he comes to him in the burning bush and he tells him, I want you to take the Jews out, Moshe says, I don't, I can't do it. He tells him, I'm not Asayim now, I'm black lips, I'm this. How does Moshe tell Hashem no? Like, you know, God says, you're the chosen leader, you're going to take him. How do you not listen to what your mother and father tells you to do? How do you not listen to God? Okay, that's a separate, that's a separate question. We can, we can address that. But, you know, just to put it in very short words, you know, if you um, if you uh, if you hurt yourself, you know, you cry, right? If, if something hurts, if you're in pain, you know, you cry, you scream out. You know, I mean, crying or screaming doesn't help anybody; it doesn't heal anything. But when somebody is in pain, you know, you you just yell because it hurts. It hurts. I mean, if somebody you know, if somebody else stabs his toe, you know, other person can say, you know what, take it easy, you know, we'll... But the person who who's hurting is going to be jumping, you know what I mean? Because they're hurting, it's their body, you know? If you're in pain, <laughs> no explanation is going to help, and there's no rationalization, there's no reasoning, you're just hurting, and if you're hurting, you, you know, you cry and you scream. Moshe Rabbeinu and the Jews were not different, they were one and the same. When they were suffering, it was Moshe suffering. And it's not so much that Moshe Rabbeinu uh, was complaining to God, but he was crying out. He was in, in tremendous amount of pain. Now, we know the Torah is not trying to tell us bad stuff about Moshe. We know Moshe was a faithful shepherd. We know the sacrifices. The contrary, Moshe Rabbeinu even risked having Hashem talk to him in a in the tough words, but what else happens? Nothing else happens. I mean, he talks tough, but Hashem changes right away. Back to Ani Hashem. It's not like he did really did something bad. On the contrary, the verse is trying to tell us and to teach us how a real leader needs to care about his people. He shouldn't just excuse God. I was I told him on Shabbat. Um, you know, it says by the by the burning bush. It says that he was afraid to look. So he turned his face around. He was afraid to look on Elohim. Also it says he was afraid to look on Elohim. So one of the commentaries is, you know, a lot of times, you know, when you have pain, or you know that the pain that you're having is for another purpose. Say a, a child gets a splinter. So you have to go with a little needle, you you know, you took a little pain, you take it out. 
take it out for the benefit, so later it shouldn't get affected. And then you know you're going to have a lot more trouble than that. So you go through a little pain to save yourself a lot of pain. A lot of times you have pain getting up in the morning. We'd rather sleep for another hour in bed, right? And, and not get up. But we know if we don't get out of bed, then we're going to lose our job. We might get fired. If we have a job, <laughs> we might get fired. And, and then, and if we're fired, then we're not going to have money to pay the mortgage. And if we can't pay the mortgage, we're not going to have a place to live. And, you know, etc. So, in other words, we go through all of our life is such that we... We're inconvenienced a lot of times, and we do sometimes things that we find hard, but we do it because we know that this hardship that we have is going to lead us to something better or something greater. So a lot of times, you know, people go in to have an operation, people go in, people want to eat food, and they don't allow themselves because they know that at the end of the day, eating the food is not good for them. So, so they, 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 they go through some pain, you know, so... but. All of life is sort of a mixture of, it's not easy, it's hard. But the thing is, when, you, when you're in pain, and you know that it is, you know, for a good purpose, a woman is giving birth, right? She's, pregnancy is hard for her, right? But at least she knows that after the pregnancy, there's going to be a bundle of joy coming, it's going to be a, a, a reward. So what happens, even during the pain, it's not so painful. Because you know that the pain that you're suffering now is going to bring you a lot better stuff later on. So it makes, it eases the pain. So what happened was that when Moses was by the burning bush, he says, God wanted to show him God's perspective on things. The reason we're in pain and the reason we, 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 we have questions is because we see the small picture. We don't see the whole picture. We don't know everything that's going on. We have just a very little... It's like taking a, from a big book. Take out one page and read that page. It doesn't have an ending. It doesn't have... A, you know, you have to read. You want to read the novel. You got to get to the end when all the pieces come together. I mean, talking about a book. Somebody made up a, a, fic, a fiction, right? So you take out a little one page, you don't know where it begins, you don't know where it ends, and you don't know there's a happy ending. But you know, if you read through the whole book, then you see how everything that took place before has a meaning and has a result, and it's going to be good, and everything comes out okay. Our life is like a, a milliscule, it's a, just a one, one drop of the whole story. We don't know the whole story. So of course, it's very hard for us to judge we are just the uh, now and here, what happens to us, that makes the difference. That's what we look at it. So God was sort of giving uh, Moshe, Moses an opportunity to see things from God's perspective. God was showing him that even in the judgment, even in the hardship, even in the difficulties, He gave him the perspective of God, how things are not really so bad the way they look, the way they appear. There is some reason and rhyme and reason, you know, known only been known to God that we don't we don't know. Now that was the first time in history that God was going to give that privilege, the opportunity to a human being to be able to see things not from their perspective but from God's perspective. But it says Moshe didn't want to look. Moshe didn't want to have an understanding. 
he didn't want the explanation. Because Moshe Rabbeinu knew that if he's going to understand what the pain is for, the purpose, he won't be able to cry together with the other Jew, he won't be able to yell out. His pain won't be, because as much as he feels, he knows the other side of the story, what it really means. And therefore, Moshe said no. He doesn't want to look into the judgment. He says to God, he says, this is my people, this is I'm together. If they're in pain, he says, I'm in pain. He says, I'm not looking for explanations. I'm not looking for insight. I'm not looking for other perspectives. I just want to be with them the way they are. And then I can be their leader. Then they can be my people. Then they can trust me. Because they know what is happening to them is happening to me. We're in the same boat. We're all together. And what Moshe Rabbeinu said, I want to see not the explanation why hardship has God in it. I want to see kindness. I want to see goodness. I want to see redemption. I want to see uh, happiness. I want to see smiles. I said, I, I want to see goodness. I want to see kindness. I don't want an s- explanation why difficulties are really good, why challenges are really promising, why how to find you know, reasons for why bad things are happening to good people to be able to understand that. That's not what I'm about. I want to see goodness. And therefore, when Moshe Rabbeinu sees like a story what's happening with the, with the Bnei Yisrael, with the Jewish people, he doesn't go and say, oh, God probably knows what he's doing, he sent me, so it's his brother. He doesn't say that. No. He goes back to God. And he says, why did you do this? <laughs> why did you send me? He says, you didn't keep, you made it worse. Well, God told you that he wasn't going to send them out right away. It doesn't matter what he told me. You know, I, I can't take it if they're in pain while they're hurting now. That is my problem right now. And I don't want to know about other things. And I'm asking you to change the things around for them. So that they shouldn't, not explaining to me why pain is good, but give them goodness and take them out so that they can really be rejoicing for the good. I always heard from the uh, from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, you know, I used to hear him speak, and he would get very, very upset a lot of times. There used to be some rabbis who used to make it their business to defend God. Why did God kid six, why did God allow for six million people to die? Why were a million and a half children gassed? They know why. And the Rebbe was <laughs> to say, besides himself, for such talk. They were defending for God. And when something, God forbid, happened bad to, to, to someone, they knew the reason. They knew God is, is justified. And the Rebbe was fired up and said, how it's not our job to justify God. Our job is to ask from Hashem to help us, to help the Jewish people. If you look in all the leadership, the true leaders, starting from Moshe Rabbeinu, through the Tanakh, they all complained to God. They all said, Admosai, how long will you do this? Because the true leaders weren't leaders that found excuses for God and justified God in His actions. That means that it's a separation between you and, and the people. Because for yourself, there's a story I once heard, there was once a great rabbi that... Um, a person came to them and 
and it was telling them uh, about a terrible tragedy that happened in their family. And um, and the rabbi was doing his best to try to comfort them and give them some words of encouragement, you know, doing his best. And he was telling them, you know, how God is good and His justice, you know, trying to... to in the middle of the rabbi's talking, he got some terrible news of his personal, something happened to his own son. And he totally lost it. And he said to the rabbi, he says, but you were just saying how God is good and everything is reasonable and there is a, a logic and you have to find the positive and everything. But when it came to his own, it came to your own son, all the reasons and all the explanations didn't work. It doesn't work anymore. It's something that touched them. It was them, and that's it. There was no explanations to be given. And this is the difference between a true leader who really is part. It's their own toe that is being stabbed. Own, the pain is their own, not somebody else's, that they're looking for reasons. And when it's your own, then you yell out and you scream out. Okay, so let's go on. We uh, gave too long. Okay, so now we'll have... That's on your account, Warren, okay? Okay. (laughs) Esther, your turn. (laughs) I'll try to be shorter. (laughs) Moreover, I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their sojourning, in which they sojourned. That's four. Um, now, okay, well, you, uh, actually, you, <coughs> three, we were still doing three. Still doing three? Oh, yeah. sorry. Okay, um, all right, sorry, I'm putting back, go back one, three. <coughs> go back to three, please. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as Kel Shaddai, but with my name Hashem, I did not make myself known to them. What does it mean, I appeared to Abram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Bekel Shaddai, Bekel Shakai? But my name Hashem, I did not make known to them. What does that mean? What is the meaning of these words? He, he, he appeared in front of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as a, like, I know this sounds like a different God. I mean, it's the same God, but a different, like, person. With a name. Different name. Which like, name? It says? El Shaddai. El Shaddai is a different name. So what is the name of El Shaddai? And what's the name of Hashem? What is the difference? He said, I appeared to them with the name of Kael Shaddai, but I did not appear to them with the name of Hashem. What is Hashem saying to Moshe? Well, each each name of God, it means a different thing. You know, like mercy. Right, right. But you tell me, what does it mean? What does it mean, the Kael Shaddai? Now, let me just say to you, Rashi brings down the various sources in the previous Chumashim, in which we see that God actually used the name of Kael Shaddai, he actually used those names. He shows you where God, by Abraham, by Isaac, and by Jacob, God actually used those names, Kel Shaddai. Kel Shaddai, okay? Now, what is the name of Kel Shaddai represent? That means the God that has the power to do. What did Hashem tell them? God told them, I will give you the land of Israel. The land, I will give it to you for inheritance. So what did Hashem do? Sham made a lot, a lot of promises. He promised them. He kept on promising to Abraham. He kept on promising to Isaac. He kept on promising to Jacob. Over and over again. Did God fulfill his promise? Ultimately. But at the time for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? No, but he, he said it would be like 400 years later. Right? right? No, he said it by, by Abraham, right? Yeah. Did God fulfill 
But did, God, but did they see God's fulfillment? No, they did. They were just given promises. And then they passed away. Yeah, but they never saw God's promise, right? So that means my name Hashem, that I fulfill what I promise, I have not been known to them. Because they, they didn't know. They said, yeah, well, Another twist to this, uh, to this in another interpretation, they actually had to promise the land, but they had to go. Abram had to spend a lot of money to bury his wife, uh, buy it from the uh, gravesite for her. Isaac, you know, while he was digging the wells, they kept up. So we see that their lives were full with challenges. It wasn't easy for them. And nevertheless, they never. <coughs> They never questioned, but it means, but God never really showed himself somebody that fulfills all of his promises. No, but Yaakov, at least, he saw them, like part of the getting the land of Israel was going to Egypt first for 400 years to be a slave. So he saw, at least saw that uh, start to happen. Well, he saw the bad part. <laughs> well, at least he, saw he didn't it. see the good part. No, but at least, but he knew it wouldn't happen for another like two hundred odd years or two hundred twenty years. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not questioning. I'm not saying. But I'm trying to point. Or I'm trying to say, in the literal sense, what it means. The verse, the way Rashi translates it. Rashi basically said, "Those, the forefathers knew me as Kale Shakai, a person that has the power to do without seeing the fruition, the results." that I actually fulfilled what I promised to do. I'm not, we're not talking about questioning or not questioning. They didn't question. Potential? The potential. They just had the potential. The Kel Shakai is a representation of God that has the ability, who has the Koyach, who has the power to go ahead and do so. However, he has never come through as one who has done what he has promised. Right? That, that he never come through. But, and, he, but his promise was for in the future. He didn't... I understand. He, so he didn't forego his promise, right. but they didn't know, but it, it didn't come through. I'm not saying but that they questioned... Sure. Okay, I understand that. Yeah. But still, but they didn't say, because they, they didn't... They, they weren't... Hashem wasn't known to them. It doesn't mean that it didn't happen. It didn't mean that he, did, he wasn't going to do it. Of course he was going to do it. But he said, but still, they had not seen that part, Hashem fulfilling all of his promises. But he says, but by Moshe Rabbeinu, okay, so now... But isn't that for all of us too, also, like the, the Messiah is supposed to come, right? So obviously yes. we all anticipate that, but, he, but we're not thinking, oh, Hashem lied to us because he's not here today. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay, but, but, but that's... But I, I'm not trying to say... I mean, we're not... The, the verse is not trying to say that they questioned. On the contrary, they didn't question. But all we're trying to say that God is saying what they heard from me was promises and they did not get to experience the actual the actual blessing. They did not get to experience it. But you, Hashem says, Ani Hashem, you are going to see Hashem. They, I prepared to the Avraham Yitzhak Yaakov and they did not see Hashem. But you, you, you will see Hashem. In other words, you will actually see the fulfillment of the promises. You will see as I will lead them out of Egypt, and that they're actually going out, and they're going to be on the way. Well, in the
in, in, in the full picture, actually, Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't even there to take him into Eretz Yisrael itself, into Israel itself, but he was well on their way to the process. They went out of Egypt already, and they got the Torah, and they had the mana. I mean, there was a, he was well in the process already, that you can say by him that he did see the fulfillment of the promises, and he led them up to the uh, coming to, to, to the land of Canaan. Okay, let's go on, because we just have a few more minutes left. So, Marina, will you read uh, 3, uh, verse 4? I also established my... Uh, oh. what? Okay, oh, no, 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 go ahead. Yes, Marina, I don't yeah. have my glasses. Okay. <laughs> okay, so Marina. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land uh, of their temporary residence in which they live as strangers. So, in other words, part of the... Part of the God's promises, God also established with them a covenant, you know, that He was going to give them. That was part of the promises. Hashem made them promises. But promises, what were the promises? The promises consisted of that Hashem was going to uh, give them the land, the, the, the land of Canaan, that it's going to be theirs. That's what Hashem has done, right? Mm-hmm. So, Hashem is leading up. They didn't see me doing it, right? I have promised them. In addition to that, God is saying, what is the next verse? Stuart, say the next verse. Number five. Yeah. Moreover, I have heard the groan of the children of Israel whom Egypt enslaves. And I have remembered my covenant. So what does it mean also? So this, what does the also mean? That he heard the groan, but he hasn't, like, he heard, he heard, he heard them cry out. But he he and he remembered the covenant, but he didn't act on it yet. And and part of the covenant was actually that they were going to be slaves in another. That was part of the covenant that they are going to be slaves to another, another, another people. So Hashem says, I hear the yell out of the Bnei Israel, and I remember the covenant that this was. In other words, the covenant has been fulfilled basically by already by the. Um, uh, by the pain. One of the interpretations, you know, you keep on, you, you bring up a few times about uh, actually only spent in Egypt 210 years from the time that uh, Jacob came down to uh, to Egypt until the uh, they left Egypt, they were there for 210 years. Um, and um, and God promised them that they're going to be 400 years. So how does that... Uh, in, it says that they're going to be in a strange land and, and they're going to uh, you know, work them, etc. To, uh, to Abraham. So how do we reconcile 400 years with 210 years? So one of the uh, commentaries is that they made them work so hard that the 210 years was as if they were like 400 years. It was like... A, uh, you know, a year is only uh, it's quantifiable by, by a period of time, but if somebody makes it so much they, they didn't just enslave them, but they embittered their lives and they made it so difficult for them 
Then Hashem says, I remembered my covenant, that the covenant was as if to say, like the 400 years are up already, even though there was no 400 years, it's just, you know, there was no real 400 years here, but I remember the covenant, the covenant said 400 years, and now it's up already, because even though there wasn't physically 400 years, but Shomaiti Esnaqaz B'nai Yisrael, I hear the other, the Egyptians are working them, so I remembered my covenant, that the covenant said 400 years, and it's all up already, so it's time, and therefore, continue, uh, Sarah, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. And these are all languages that we use over here, and we have the four cups on on, on Passover. Mm -hmm. They correspond to the three languages in this one and one in the next one, which we talk all about redemption taking us out from the burdens of the egyptians saving us from their from their labor and um and and, and redeeming us uh, with an outstretched hand that's what god's promise to take us out okay and following sina do next verse seven yes i shall take you to me for a people and i shall be a god to you and you shall know that i am hashem your god who takes you out from under the burdens of egypt so also, there's also a big thing about always knowing that I am God. Knowing that I am God. To know, to have a recognition that I am God. Also, one of the uh, Hasidic interpretations of this whole episode was because God uh, performs through two types of ways in this world. One is a natural way, but nature is also by God. God created nature and God works through nature. But then we also have the supernatural way. Egypt lived only on nature. They can only see as far as nature. That's why they were connected to the name of Elohim. Elohim also meaning judgment, but also represents, it has the numerical value of Ateva, which means nature. Everything is natural. There's no, no belief in anything, any power, anything beyond what is just the laws and the forces of nature. Anything beyond that, they, Egypt didn't believe and didn't, and therefore, when Moses comes to Pharaoh and he says to them, well, God said, he says, I don't know God, I know Elohim, I don't know Hashem, because the name of God represents that there is something beyond, there is a power more than just the nature. So he says, I don't know, there is no such a thing, I know only of nature, that's the only thing that I can respond, you know, the one who has the might, you know, survival of the fittest, you know, whoever is stronger, that's the one that gets it, and that's the way it works, there's nothing powers or any forces of goodness or righteousness or, or of soul or of Hashem, of God or anything else. I don't know. But one of the things that God, this whole episode of, of Pharaoh, was to teach the world of Elohim. That's why Hashem says, you should know that I am Hashem, that there is beyond nature, that Hashem is in control, that everything that takes place, even the nature is also from God. But of course, all the events that took place, that the Jewish people left Egypt and all the plagues and the whole procedures that took place over there, this was a clear demonstration that it's not just the people and they're in charge and they're in control, but rather there is a force up there which conducts things. I apologize, i got to go now because i got to go make the minions, so it's, uh, we'll cut a little short. should continue next week in Mr. Shem. Same time, same session. Thank you.